the best-selling compliance handbook by compliance evangelist and compliance podcast network founder tom fox has been updated revised and improved in its new second edition this new podcast series will build upon the best nuts and bolts compliance handbook around to provide you the best information on implementing and enhancing a best practices compliance program Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I would like to welcome you to this episode of the Compliance Handbook. Today, I'm thrilled to have with me a good friend and colleague, Stephen Martin. We're going to start with really a basic episode of how do you create an effective compliance program? So, Stephen, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Oh, thanks for having me on your show, Tom. I appreciate it. Stephen, one of the things that we have both observed is that not only has compliance evolved, but it's evolved to handle a wide variety of legal issues. So you and I started in anti-corruption or anti-fraud compliance, but there's AML compliance, antitrust compliance, fraud compliance, False Claims Act compliance, trade sanction compliance, environmental compliance, and really a wide variety of other compliances. So, and it's, but it's also evolved from a, a written set of policies and procedures written by lawyers for lawyers into a dynamic business framework. One of the things that you have done over the years is uh, develop a framework to help people think through uh, a compliance program that would handle really any type of compliance. And I wanted to visit with you today about that. And I, I've never called it anything but the six elements. So if there's a different name, you could tell us that. But tell us about the six elements, how you develop that, and how you're still able to use it even today in 2021. So, uh, yeah, so, you know, you and I've talked a long time on various various outlets about uh, what was the five elements of compliance. Now, I would, I've talked about what the six elements of compliance and what it really the, the reason it was set up and um, originally worked on this when I was at Baker and McKinsey with Paul McNulty and the team um, was around how to make it uh, the U.S. sentencing guidelines, the DOJ guidance now and other type of, you know, government expectations into an easily digestible uh, kind of format, right, for companies and being able to talk in a much more practical, real world way. Um, and, you know, because what you find is if you go in and talk to a CEO or boards of directors about the U.S. sentencing guidelines or the FCPA, two things happen. One is it's too dry and legalistic and they kind of tune out. And two, they all think, oh, well, you know, we're never going to violate the FCPA or we're never going to be involved in the U.S. sentencing guidelines. So why do we need to care about that? Um, but what I found over the years doing this is if you can crystallize it into these six elements that we're going to talk about, it just makes it much more practical for a CEO or board of directors to understand what a compliance officer is doing or suggesting and what kind of enhancements you need. And so the nice part is you can take these six elements and benchmark your compliance program against them and really understand, is it both effective and is it meeting the government expectations, whether it's in the U.S. or internationally? Uh, because you have a number of different you know, jurisdictions and you have a number of different laws that can be applicable to corporations. and you know, and what I've said is it doesn't matter whether you're ultimately in the UK or the US or whether you're in Brazil or China, that, you know, they all have different laws and regulations governing things um, that are compliance risk, especially around, you know, bribery and corruption, but it can be any of them, it can be industry specific. And using these six elements, you can very quickly see, you know, do you have a base level compliance program? Do you have a program that meets government expectations? And what are the best practices you could use to, to both further enhance um, your compliance program and make it really practical for, you know, your audience, whether it's your employees or other stakeholders? Um, so, you know, I've just found 
when you're doing risk assessments or you're doing um, compliance program reviews or others, this kind of framework just makes it much, much easier to um, get people to understand the, you know, what the strengths of the company's compliance program are, what are the areas of opportunity and setting an enhancement roadmap together. Stephen, the other thing that strikes me is uh, one of the reasons uh, the framework is so powerful is you and I uh, saw the evolution of compliance uh, many years ago, and we saw that a compliance program, I think it was even Lanny Brewer who said your compliance program must evolve. If people remember how far back that goes. And we've seen the Department of Justice evolve in its thinking around what should be an effective compliance program. Uh, we've seen them put that in writing in the evaluations and uh, other documents. Uh, and this framework has been able to uh, in input or incorporate all of those ideas, meaning it's very broad, uh, but it gives you a process to think through. So I was wondering if you could just sort of, and in fact, one of the diagrams I've seen you guys use is a, uh, an improvement cycle of continuous improvement. So I was wondering if you could just walk us through how it really all fits together in one cycle. Sure, happy to do that. Um, I, first note, I guess I'd say is uh, knowing Lanny Brewer, you probably wouldn't be happy to say that it went that far back and making it sound old, but because uh, <laughs> um, all of us are getting older, right, Tom? Uh, so, you know, I think with the with the framework, what I, I totally agree is that the Department of Justice has over the years has gotten much smarter about compliance programs, right? It used to be you could have a paper program, you could walk and do a presentation and here's our program and nobody really looked at it. Now they're looking at it in depth, testing it, you know, making you really show what you've done, both in things like risk assessment or oversight and monitoring. Um, and so they become much more sophisticated in, in evaluating the effectiveness of your compliance program. And at the same time, they put out things like the DOJ guidance and, you know, and the expectations for compliance programs so that compliance officers and companies know clearly that, you know, it has to continue to evolve. And again, yes, that started, you know, Lanny Brewer and has continued to do that um, in terms of what's looking, what, what they're looking for uh, in evolving your program. And the nice part about this framework is while you have, you know, originally it was five elements, now it's six elements because of some of the extensions and things that the Department of Justice and other government agencies have put out, they are very broad categories, right? So you've got risk assessment, governance and structure, policies, procedures, controls, training, education, oversight and reporting, and then response and enhancements. And you can very quickly see that those categories make up your compliance program, but inside of each of those categories, you can then break down into you know, sub areas and really look more in depth at the compliance program so that you can continue to involve and meet the expectations of what you know, DOJ or other international organizations are asking you to meet, uh, depending on what industry and depending on where you work and what jurisdictions. Stephen, one of the most powerful uh, visual presentations of this, I saw you put together literally when you first developed the five elements and one that I stole and still use today is where you map the elements to the uh, U.S. sentencing guidelines, to the uh, 10 hallmarks, now hallmarks of an effective compliance program, and even to the U.K. Bribery Act and indeed the OECD 13 good points. And I was wondering with that type of presentation, are you able to persuade the legal, legal types out there, the, the lawyers you have to talk to, that yes, with these five or six elements, we can, in, we can include everything you're going to need in a variety of jurisdictions? 
Oh, absolutely. And it's a great point. And one of the things we should talk about after this is just posting this up on your site with this podcast so people can see what we're talking about here with kind of this continuous cycle and, and these breakdowns, because I'm always happy to share it with anybody who wants to see it. Um, you know, yes, as you noted, we've done it with DOJ, the hallmarks, the OECD guidelines. We've all, I've also done it industry specific, and I've done it with agencies like the World Bank or others. And they all ultimately fit into this framework, which is great, because, you know, while you have a broad framework, you can meet all of those government expectations, whether it's industry focused, whether it's you know government focused or whatever it might be that the expectations are and be able to then show in, you know, in a report or in an evaluation of the compliance program where the gaps are and where are the areas that you need to enhance and improve and how would you meet, you know, the government expectations or best practices in the industry. Um, so it's really, it's really interesting that it, it simplifies, you know, what the regulatory framework looks like, but at the same time gives you, you know, the, the right uh, organization so you can see how to continue to enhance your compliance program over a period of time. Often when I come in and do a compliance program assessment, whether it's for the compliance officer or just as commonly it's for uh, the, the CEO or the boards of directors, um, they can, without diving into regulatory activity or regulations um, and laws and all that, they can very quickly understand, okay, here's what we're doing well, here's where we need to improve, and what's that enhancement plan look like? And generally those, when I talk in, to companies and deliver them, it's usually kind of a one to three year time frame in terms of enhancing the program and steps that you can take both internally or externally with counsel or consulting firms or other things, you know, vendors that you might need to help you. Um, but it gives you a very nice work plan of how to enhance. And it's something that both helps you as a company, but also you can then show to government regulators if you're ever asked about um, the effectiveness of your compliance program. Stephen, it, start it gives you pretty good both defense and roadmap. It starts with a risk assessment, and that was number four in the original 10 hallmarks, but I think everyone agrees that everything starts with your risk assessment. The Department of Justice used to say if you did a formal risk assessment every two or three years, you could work off that, but they changed that in 2020 to say you need to do your risk assessment when your risks change. How do you help a company think through something other than, you know, the full bore, we're going to bring in Stone Turn for a comprehensive risk assessment to uh, our, our supply chain has changed because we can't get our supplies out of China now. What's the risk of doing business in West, West Africa? So, you know, it's, look, it's a great question. Um, I would say the two areas that companies probably struggle the most are effective risk assessments. You know, and now it's more required on an ongoing basis. And as you just highlighted across, you know, a set of compliance risks, so not just bribery and corruption, as an example. And then it's really the oversight and monitoring part of the compliance program. And so those are the two that companies seem to struggle the most with. What I spend time, you know, we come in and do risk assessments. We will do enterprise wide risk assessments against a number of compliance issues. We will do um, business unit specific risk assessments. We do in-country risk assessments, and then we'll do topic specific ones like bribery and corruption. Um, and But then uh, what I find myself increasingly doing is helping companies build a risk assessment protocol and process so that they can be doing that internally on an ongoing basis and looking at things like you highlighted, right? Very specific risks in regions or in new business lines or you know in a specific uh, division. And, and that you're setting up a process now for them to be able to kind of self-evaluate in risk assessment. There's still much, there's still value in bringing in, you know, outside teams to come in and help. You get outside perspective, you get the protection of having somebody independent do it. Um, but then there's a lot of things you can do on an ongoing basis internally, you know, just based on setting up the right process. 
the biggest failure that I see with companies is either not understanding the risk profile, you know, meaning they're they're very contained in terms of how they look at the risk, or more commonly, they'll understand that they have a risk or a set of risk, but they don't do anything to effectively manage or mitigate those risks by enhancing the compliance program or working with the business, whether it's in, you know, finance or accounting or um, you know, procurement or wherever it might be to, you know, build controls and process in that are going to help reduce some of those high impact risks that show up. And so often you will see ERM processes or risk assessment processes that um, are just very static, meaning the risks don't change or they don't really have a good um, approach to um, mitigating those risks by enhancing the compliance program. Stephen, the Department of Justice, once again in 2020, but a different emphasis on, it's not new, but it's a different emphasis on continuous monitoring and continuous improvement. Um, frankly, I've heard you talk about that for a long time, but now how do you help companies think through, how do I get the information or data uh, around monitoring? And then how do I use that uh, to either uh, enhance my compliance program, remediate any gaps that might um, be uh, determined and, and respond to, uh, something if the regulators come knocking. Yeah, so this is the number one challenge in compliance right now, by far, right, is the expectation that you can use um, data analytics to help with your oversight and monitoring of your compliance program. The vast majority of companies I see don't do this um, and don't really understand how to do it, but it is the question I now get asked by every compliance officer out there. And so we are working with companies now to, we'll, we'll do, different things. Um, some will be in an investigation basis, right? So it could be expense, it could be accounting reconciliation, it could be fraud. You can come in and do a lot of testing and controls and sample, um, and, and you can get a lot of data analytics out of that. But that's much more on the reactive side. On the proactive side, we started working with companies on creating dashboards that aggregate information that is already in the company, but is, is disaggregated in various sources. So we'll work with companies on we often do this kind of as a phase one flat fee, very cost effective to come in and look at, you know, where are the various data streams you have? What are the types of information you'd like to see? What are the key risks that are in your business? And how can we help you set up a dashboard and other types of tools that will effectively let you monitor kind of key issues, right? So it could be employee spend, it could be travel, it could be payments, could be third party agents. Um, it could be hotline data that's not being used effectively. Um, you know, there are a lot of different ways that you can do this and, but you can also do it very cost effectively, right? This is, doesn't have to be a $2 million project. You can do some very creative things using dashboards and, and template information that will just aggregate what you've already have in your system, but you're not able to do on your own. Um, this is clearly going to be this year and then in, you know, in the next few years, the number one push in compliance is around this oversight and monitoring. Stephen, one of the things that the Department of Justice emphasized in the original uh, evaluation of corporate compliance was culture. And that was in 2019 and 2020. They talked about the role of the CCO in not only driving culture, but also making sure culture was fair. They talked about institutional justice, institutional fairness, and they wanted to see the CCO uh, have greater involvement in things like discipline and things like promotions. How do you help a CCO think through maybe stepping outside of what he, view, he or she viewed as their traditional box to help bringing institutional justice and fairness, leading to trust, trust and a better culture to an organization? 
Right. So it's a great question, Tom, especially in this day and age and all the issues that, that we've been facing around the world. Um, you know, again, most companies with their compliance program doesn't really focus as much on the ethics side, right, or the culture side. Um, there are amazing companies out there that are built as culture companies that do really dynamic things. And there are some great compliance officers that, you know, on their own kind of lead, you know, to to uh, the ethics side and really that ethical leadership and how do you do stuff. But most companies don't understand it or they struggle and they're and they're still reactive. And one of the things I love to talk about, talk with companies about is this proactive side about, you know, culture and, you know, commitment to ethics and how do you do that in an interesting way. There are a lot of really cool things that you can do and in, inside your company, you know, from communications, from, um, you know, culture change types of initiatives where, you can, it, it is more protective at the end of the day for your business to be doing that than it is to put a policy in place, right? Or even some controls because the vast majority of your of your employees out there want to do the right thing. They want to tell you if, if something's not being done correctly or people are violating the law or the code and you just have to give them the tools and the ability to speak freely and to do that and not just in the hotline, but to really embrace the culture and know that we are a different company. Um, you know, you, as you know, I used to work at the University of Denver and helped run an institute there on enterprise ethics on corporations. And so I'm very passionate about, you know, ethical leadership is the best compliance measure that you could put in place. Um, but again, companies struggle with that area about how do you really do it? Um, culture change is not easy and culture impact is not easy, but the compliance officers I see out there that really focus on this can make some dr dramatic strides in both getting people to know that compliance is helping the business, so better return on investment, but also you know, driving ethics in, in a way in the company that is much more visible. Um, you know, and you're seeing more and more companies do this. Um, you know, you and I work with Conversant. We see them. They're talking about ethics in the center. And you're talking about, you know, how do you drive this? Because all these huge failures and, you know, what's been all the companies that I worked with, right, that had very significant government investigations at the end of the day it comes down to money and fraud and greed and, you know, whether you're violating the law. Um, and, you know, if you set a culture that has a higher standard than compliance, which is the base minimum of the law, but we're really trying to operate up here. You're going to you're going to be a more successful and b have less problems. Well, Stephen, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time for this episode, but uh, it's been a fascinating exploration. And thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Oh, no problem. I always love it, Tom. It's great. So, look forward to chatting with you uh, sometime in the future. This is Tom Fox. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Compliance Handbook. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and tune in next week. Until then, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks again, and I look forward to visiting with you again.